the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. I am jazzed to be with you on this Monday edition of Lifeline. A wonderful, wonderful opportunity lies between you and me. And that is a phone number by which you can call me and chat with me on the topics that are, um, well... Your host will propose in just a moment the number one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Welcome to the Monday edition of Lifeline. In a couple of days, I suppose we will be, at least in part, if not uh, a large portion of our country, will be celebrating. Um, the 4th of July. And among two or three of the main topics I kind of want to po- uh, pose to you and maybe uh, hear your opinion on or about, if you will, um, is whether or not, um, given the fact that our culture presently, as you would note, and I think you would affirm, is reexamining virtually everything that we do, all of our traditions, all of our practices, all of our beliefs are in uh, the spectrum and specter of suspicion and um, reevaluation and um, uh, a determination whether or not they are valid, whether or not they are real, whether or not they are accurate, whether or not they um, depict reality as history might might find it or determine it, depending on uh, what the sources of your um, research might be, your particular path and journey of analysis of, of what, what went on, um, let's say, 300 and something years ago um, in, in that great era and time where uh, the Americans are the Americas, the colonies, a few colonies that ultimately became 13 colonies, opposed and um, refused to submit to the um, imperial rule of Britain and, uh, and, and fight for its independence. Um, after some multiple centuries now, you and I are living on at least somewhat of the fruits of that labor. And uh, uh, maybe about 100 years ago, if not a little bit more, um, uh, the nation decided to celebrate uh, July 4th, Independence Day, as a national holiday. If I recall the specifics of that um, that affirmation. Um, and, and the question that I would want to raise, and it didn't start with me, but I definitely want to raise it. Should the local church, should the church at large be celebrating the 4th of July. Now, I'm not asking the question whether or not individuals should be celebrating. That's completely uh, a private judgment matter for yourself. It's a completely free thing to do. I don't have a problem with it whatsoever relative to um, a responsible citizen 
a citizen of America being able to know why they celebrate whatever they celebrate, when they celebrate it, how they celebrate it. And um, this is kind of uh, more of a uh, Socratic, um, if you will, judgment about it. If you recall, it was Socrates who basically found himself drinking hemlock after a lengthy period of time of walking throughout Athens and, and Greece raising questions to the populace and individuals that lived in, 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 in Athens as to why they were doing what they were doing. What, what gave them the grounds to worship this God or worship that God or worship no God? It certainly wasn't the fact that Socrates didn't believe in a deity. He certainly held to that as a necessary prism for uh, cultural uh, unity, coherence on a number of moral levels. I don't think he had a personal God that he yielded to, but he certainly did believe in the importance of morals and ethics. In fact, he was ultimately acclaimed to be the first moral philosopher of our world, particularly of the West. But the thing that got Socrates into trouble, ladies and gentlemen, was that ultimately as he went about uh, enjoying life, raising questions among his friends and then larger groups of people and farms, and ultimately it led to the Senate. He would ask, why are we doing this? What is the moral imperative? What is the ethical framework and grounds by which we observe these holidays and, and do what we do? And, and, and I guess what I am say, stating is that after a number of decades of being in this world, I'd like to think that I am awake to some degree and am asking you the question. I believe that we live in a culture and a time where, as Daniel plainly put it, knowledge has increased. People are running to and fro with the level of technology that our society possesses. We can now acquire data and information uh, in just phenomenally swift time. I mean, beyond our, um, our, our, our wildest dreams we have volumes of data information libraries at our fingertips just by virtue of our computers. You guys know that. And I'm saying that what this has done is it has given people a much more speculative, critical um, uh, analysis of what has been long-held traditions. I mean, people even now question the veracity and the inspiration and infallibility claims and codes of the church around the Bible. We have had to deal with that for the longest. People question Christmas. People question uh, things like the Resurrection Sunday or Easter or all of the holidays and traditions that our world has been accepting and embracing and practicing for good, bad, or ugly for decades and years. Now, here's the question that I'm raising. First and foremost, should the church be celebrating um, the 4th of July? Should it be embracing what I would call a peripheral independence event in history, a peripheral independence event in history? Um, should it be uh, engaging in what might be a hybrid of allegiance. That is, the church is supposed to be a representation of the kingdom of God and therefore uh, in the world, but not of the world, right? And and if that's the case, um, should people find themselves coming into church on any given Sunday morning uh, and, and finding themselves immersed in historical uh, revision and 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 presentation presentation of alleged facts around how we became a free country. And again, 
I'm not asserting that we don't rejoice and celebrate the present liberties and freedoms and independence that you and I are now enjoying. But I really would question whether or not we are uh, maintaining a uh, integrity factor around um, celebrating national holidays that really had its origins in uh, secular uh, events having absolutely no uh, necessarily theological or Christian foundation and framework to it. And if we should find ourselves actually celebrating some churches or national churches and very much filled with people who are uh, indebted to and uh, inclined to show themselves extremely committed to our nation, nothing wrong with that per se, but would we not be finding ourselves um, possibly engaged in denial of true historical facts? or a distortion of the gospel of independence, since we do know that the gospel really is the only Independence Day that we should really be taking heart to. After all, that's exactly what was said concerning the coming of Christ. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim liberty, to proclaim independence, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The gospel is a message of independence, is it not? And it was accomplished by and large by a warfare, was it not? And did it not lead to, what you saying? Oh, okay, yeah, it, it, uh, I'm sorry about that. Um, and did it not lead to a kind of um, freedom on a national level for the people of God around the world? Now, I, I would quickly say yes, but I, I would ask you, and I want to hear from you. What, what would you think about that if you had to endure for an hour um, kind of a historical analysis of uh, of a holiday that I do take advantage of? I just kind of want to know about that. So I'm asking you, should the local church actually celebrate the 4th of July? Secondly, here's another thing I want to bring to the table. Recently, we had a Supreme Court decision around this issue of gay marriage and the um, the brouhaha over the last couple of years as to whether or not businesses would have to capitulate to homosexual marriage and therefore support that whole process, as you know. As you know, a cake company um, uh, refused to serve uh, a gay couple, and this began a whole spiral. And laws on a local level were inserted by local judges, as you know, as to uh, the fact that if you run a business, you've got to serve that community, even if it runs contrary to your own convictions. Well, recently we have had... Uh, a Supreme Court decision that basically, once again, overturned that judgment and and companies now who hold a a religious conviction against the practice of homosexuality, particularly in the context of the sanctity of marriage, no longer um, have to capitulate, have to yield to it. So um, I'm asking you the question, I'm asking you the question, um, whether or not you and I um, have found that to be beneficial relative to um, your maybe running a business or your being in the public 
sector, and you're having to kind of negotiate. In fact, I got an article that I'm going to read after the um, break on that, and I want to hear your opinions. What do you think about it? What is the difficulty or challenge pro or con around that uh, Supreme Court decision? And thirdly, this is what we're going to talk about. Uh, We're going to talk about suicide. Um, because whether you know it or not, it's increasing in our culture. It's really becoming um, a problem that we're not talking about. And and the uh, largest constituency that's finding themselves contemplating and actually engaging in suicide are our children, our young teens. And and how, how do you have that conversation with your kids? How do you have that conversation with your spouse? And you know it all has a, it stems from depression and other things. But so, yeah, those are the three things we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about um, Independence Day, if you want to talk. We're going to talk a little bit about the Supreme Court decision around um, uh, the overthrowing of laws and policies, forcing religious conviction to comply with things that we feel are completely wrong. And then thirdly, and you can call in any of those orders, it doesn't matter, um, suicide that happens to be coming even closer to our doors. Now, y'all know I like to eat. And uh, one of the shows that I watch frequently are food shows. And Mr. Zimmerman holds a show that covers the world and the foods that he tastes and eat. He has been known for eating anything that moves and not moves, as you guys know, if you watch the food show, as I do. But another man that was very, very much um, an intrigue to me, and I enjoyed his analysis. And now, back to Lifeline uh, with Jesse Gistan. Bourdain, as you guys know, if you know anything about him, he committed suicide a few weeks ago. And I want to talk about the analysis around him as well. So you are listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host is Jesse Gistan. The number to reach me here is one 367 5329 one We will be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. And we are back. The time is 521 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. So glad to have you with us. I've got three lines open. one 367 one Give me a call. You guys have had it laid out on the table what we want to talk about. We want to talk about the validity of talking about um, uh, Independence Day, the 4th of July, in a church context. And then talking about the Supreme Court decision around um, the right or wrongness of uh, civil liberties clashing with Christian conviction or religious conviction, because there are other religions that would also hold an anti-homosexual position around marriage and other things. And therefore, um, what do you think and feel about that decision? How will its implications work itself out from state to state or um, policy to policy for, for, um, for those of us who hold a particular worldview around those things? And thirdly, we're going to talk about, um, as I said, uh, uh, suicide. That has been something that has been really of significant concern to me, and I want to really get your opinion on it. Um, as I stated, I was alarmed by, but almost in a certain way, not surprised by Anthony Bourdain's, uh, uh, you know, suicide. 
because he had definitely talked about being uh, a man given to the bouts and conflicts of depression. And I, I wonder, um, do we even know how to have that conversation? Um, do we, do we, um, do we, do we know how to handle a discussion around depression uh, relative to um, it being a very fundamental uh, connection between it and its escalation uh, to the act of suicide? Uh, and and if you if you know anything about it on a personal level, I'd love to hear from you. The number one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. And by way of our second topic um, around the Supreme Court decision relative to um, the whole matter of our present discourse. Uh, with regards to homosexuality, I have an, a very good article that I think will be warm and worth reading to my to maybe stimulate your your conversation around it because we all know people who are homosexual. We all know people who are engaged in the full spectrum of um, the LGBT and other community. It becomes a really big issue uh, in colleges today. There are major battles around um, how that that whole group of people want to be known and um, understood, really. Uh, and so I, I'm wondering, what is your experience around that? So listen to the article. Um, it'll require reading long enough to go to the break. And when we're through the break, I'll begin to take your phone calls on the Monday edition of Life. Now, I just want to know where you are with it. Because, again, it was, it was, what, maybe 2001 and then ultimately 2000 and. 11, somewhere around that time when we began to have to face the fact that California definitely did uh, take a position um, on uh, pro-homosexual marriage. You guys know that. And uh, then we all had to work through how are we going to live and navigate and uh, negotiate that whole cultural uh, influx into the mainstream of society. Because before that, you know, we simply had to the right to our freedom to avoid it or uh, deny it or engage it. And uh, certainly as a Christian, we want to be able to engage it, but do it properly. Do we not? And so listen to an article by a female. Her name is Baronel Stutzman, Stutzman, I think. And uh, she's writing a very intimate story around her own experience. Uh, Two weeks ago, I quote, the U.S. Supreme Court issued It's ruling in Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission. The court vindicated my friend Jack Phillips, owner of the Masterpiece Cake Shop, and condemned the Colorado Civil Rights Commission for its clear and impermissible hostility toward Jack's belief. And will you notice how she put it? Um, The clear and impermissible hostility toward Jack's beliefs. This week, I have renewed hope that I will be vindicated, too. I'm grateful that the U.S. Supreme Court vacated the Washington Supreme Court's decision against me so that my case can continue. If the state of Washington and the ACLU have their way, I could lose not just the flower shop that is so close to my heart, but also my home and every penny I own. I risk losing everything because my state's attorney general targeted me and my religious beliefs. 
more than five years ago, I chose not to participate in the same-sex wedding of a longtime friend and customer named Rob because of my religious beliefs about marriage. Without receiving a complaint from Rob, the state filed a lawsuit against me, as did the ACLU. I and the Alliance Defending Freedom attorneys who represent me and Jack are encouraged that the Supreme Court in the Masterpiece case ruled that the government cannot be hostile to the sincere religious beliefs of people of faith. It rightly recognized that it is wrong for the government to denigrate those who believe that marriage is between one man and one woman. Neither Jack Phillips nor I has ever suggested that a business should not have the right to deny should uh, we we've never suggested rather that a business should have the right to deny service just because customers say they're gay and that's not what the supreme court ruled i serve every customer who comes to my shop but the government is trying to force me to create custom artistic expression and celebrate a religious ceremony that violates my core convictions about marriage. My faith inspires me to treat everyone with respect and love, and I have done my best to live out those beliefs. I have never turned away anyone because of who they are, and I never will. Serving but not celebrating is her next point. I served Rob for nearly a decade and grew to know him as a friend. I created dozens of unique custom arrangements for him and his partner. I knew Rob was gay, but that was never an issue. Even today, I would gladly welcome Rob back into my shop, catch up on his life, and wait for him for another, wait on him or serve him rather for another 10 years. I opted out of celebrating one event, Rob's wedding. Because scripture teaches that marriage is between a man and a woman. It was the clear choice that I had to make because my faith guides my life. But it was a difficult moment because I cared deeply for Rob. I gave Rob the name of other near, near, uh, nearby florists, uh, floral artists who I knew would do a good job for him. Our conversation ended with a hug. We parted as friends. And yet my decision now threatens everything my husband and I have built over 40 years. Rob has the freedom to act on his belief about marriage. I'm only asking for the same freedom. Millions of people of faith from faith traditions as diverse as Islam and Christianity believe that marriage is the union of husband and wife. The government shouldn't tell us that we must hide, ignore, or violate our beliefs in order to participate in public life. This isn't just about my freedom. It's about everyone's freedom. If the government can inquire or require us to create art and participate in sacred events or take all we own and destroy us for declining to submit to its demands, then we are not really free. Wherever you stand on the issue of same-sex marriage, we should all fear a government that can crush one side or the other. Opinions and political power change, the First Amendment should protect all of us. And I really think she has a point. I don't know if you do, but I really think she has a point, and I'd like to talk about it a little bit with you, because here's the thing, you guys. I believe freedom must allow freedom to disagree. Secondly, I believe freedom to deny service that violates religious rights and convictions 
is fundamental to a free society. In other words, freedom to provide space for acceptance and service to various convictions and beliefs as an essential part of a free society is the outcome of freedom. However, I believe that freedom requires maturity as well as virtue. I've stated it on this show, in my preaching, uh, in my speeches here in Yon, freedom without virtue is a curse. If we're going to be free, we have to be people of virtue. We have to be mature people. We have to know how to use our freedoms in the right way. I do not have to agree with you, and you do not have to agree with me. I, however, may not harm you with my disagreement. I must remain Christian in my disagreement as a virtue of my freedom in relationship to you. That's what I want to talk to you about, one 367 I don't think believers have the right to harm people with whom they disagree, particularly in contexts like this. I think we must remain radically Christocentric and Christ-characteristically. And even when the world comes against us, we simply have to bear it. Two lines open, one 367 I will be right back and we'll continue on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Don't go anywhere. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we are back, the time being 5.36 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. All the lines are full. Let's see if we can clear them out with some conversation on the things we've been talking to. As we go to line one, let's talk to Deb in Oakland. Deborah, what's your question or comment or observation on our topic today? How are you? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Brother Jesse, I agree with everything you said. And I think that if we don't have a understanding of history, we won't understand the foundation of our our government, we won't understand the foundation of our our uh, our uh, our freedoms and rights and privileges bar the Constitution and the um, Bill of Rights. Yeah, so we need to know that. However, here's the question. Should the church be celebrating the 4th of July on a Sunday morning service as if that is really um, the Christian thing to do? I think so. All right. So now the question is, how is that honoring God? Because honoring God is the author of the, the government, the state, and the, the uh, and and I don't think that's a diversion from from the uh, from uh, what we can do in the church because the church I think is the center of the society because without the church we would not have a society that would have any moral or spiritual value. Well, you know, the whole society presently today would deny that that particular assertion on your part. The society that we live in does not believe the church has any significant role in it at all. If it could have its way, not only is there no God in the government, there is no church in the world if they could have their way. Oh, yes, I know. 
And so my question is, really, what would a church service look like where the preacher from beginning to end is talking about um, Washington, is talking about Jefferson, is talking about uh, the, 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 the battle between the Brits and the, the colonists, um, uh, uh, as history would have it, um, that ultimately in a 45-minute sermon, because that's about all you get today with most preaching, um, is really historical in nature and not necessarily redemptive or Christocentric in nature. Uh, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that simply be something that would probably work for um, um, a, a school setting or a, a middle of the week uh, assembly for people who really want to know what happened historically, et cetera, et cetera? I, I see. Uh, yes, but I think that um, that you know, either way would work, and I think that you have more people gathered at. Sunday morning services than you do at midweek services. As you know, historically, that has been true for a long time. No, that's factual now. It's factual now. Very seldom are people more gathered on Sunday than anywhere else. We are definitely in a decline in the zeal and passion for people to come out on any other day. We are definitely in a serious spiritual decline in that regard. I have one observation. I do not personally see how we can actually... Um, bring men and women to a saving knowledge of God, talking about history of that nature on a Sunday morning. But you know what? Lots of churches are doing it and have done it. And so you got a lot of people on your side, and I'm sure with the next callers coming, they will do the same thing. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have any particular plans for 4th of July because I, I had someone that was going to give me a meal for 4th of July, but that fell through, so... I'm not celebrating it per se myself, but um, I would if I could. Got it. See, your opinion values. Thank you for the call. Let's go to line number two and see what Mark has to say about the holiday uh, July 4th and whether or not the church should be celebrating it. Mark, what say ye? Well, I, I look at it in a bigger context, not just holidays. When I was young, my mom told me things like, we're Christians, so we don't drink, smoke, because the body's a temple of God. We eat different because the body's a temple of God. Uh, honesty, promiscuity. And I looked at it like, well, I don't want to tell anybody that's the reason I don't do these things. And I still, to this day, I don't do those things, by the way. I'm not any better. I just think it's a more godly way, and, it's, and it follows what, what the Bible tells me. The body's a temple of God. But now I look at it a little different, like, let's say, Fourth of July. If you're not doing something, maybe that's God's foot in the door for people to ask you, why aren't you doing this? Why don't you drink? Why don't you smoke? Why do you eat like this? Why, don't, why, aren't, you promise, uh, why aren't you sleeping with your girlfriend? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a foot in the door. Everybody says, well... I don't have any way to to bring up the gospel to my neighbors and my friends. Well, maybe God gave you a, a way. Look in the old days, circumcision. Hey, so you're different. We can look and see that you're different. Why are you different? And that's kind of what I'm getting at, is maybe not doing things. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses have a lot of things that they don't do. I bet a lot of people ask them, why do you do this? And that's what we need, is, is a, a foot in the door to say, here's why I am... Like I am. 
Now, Mark, would you believe that that is actually a Christian way to do it? If you do it in a in a way that, and, and I uh, honestly try and do this, if you do it in a way that I'm different, but I do not claim to be better. I claim God to be better. I don't claim me to be better. Okay. So you do it in a way that, well, this is what God teaches me, and you don't say, well, because I'm so great and I do what God tells me. Mm-hmm. I do not do that, because I don't believe I'm, in, I'm any better. I, I never believe I'm any better. I believe God's better. Okay, so you, would, so you would say that um, abstaining from things is simply a good opportunity, uh, but not the only way by which one could uh, broach a conversation about something far more transcendent. And, and I, would, I, would, yeah. I, would, uh, I would be able to entertain that to a large degree. The Bible is clear in the New Testament about if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I certainly could hold to certain parameters of that truth. I think, however, a more evangelical approach is actually putting both feet in without sinning, but engaging people in their cultural context versus kind of the Old Testament Jewish model that you are presently demonstrating, Mark, because that's the way the Old Testament was structured. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do the other thing. That's not really the model of the New Testament, to be to be honest with you. Um but I, I can see how that it can be uh, a marker. But my fundamental question was, should local churches be celebrating and lauding and, and talking about what happened on the 4th of July some 300 years ago um, as a worship service? I, I kind of I'm a little hesitant on that because I, I believe that the United States is a great country and a great Christian country, and so is Britain. So to say, well, we got out from under their thumb, eh, is that big in God's world? I don't really think so. That's my honest thing. Okay, okay, that, that's that's cool. I I, I appreciate that. Uh, and by the way, because we are Protestant largely uh, in America, you know, there definitely is not given a whole lot of uh, props to to Britain's history and contributions uh, much by way of that whole era of of our breaking away from them. Um, I, I was really looking forward to a much more theological answer, but our opinions are valid on this program. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? No, no. Great talking to you. Thank All right, you too, man. Blessings. Let's see. Let's go to line number three and talk with, uh, no, line number four and talk with Michael from Union City. Michael, are you there? Brother Jesse. I can't hear you. Can you hear me, Brother Jesse? Yeah. Are you, got, are you up on your phone, brother? Yeah, I'm on my phone. Okay, because no it, it was way, yeah, it was way, phone, it, it was, it was way low. We're good now. So, what's your observation, comments, or questions, sir? Well, just sitting there listening to you, right? Praise God, and uh, you talked about the subjects first. Uh, should we be celebrating the uh, Fourth of July in the churches, right? Right. Uh, as a preacher, if it's part of your discovery of subject, and you have a subject that's coming along with what happened or what Independence Day is about, briefly saying the resurrection because he got up. Okay, we now free on the line. But far as the church adapting it to be a, a, a holiday in the church to where that's what we're supposed to talk about? Mm-hmm. Certainly not. Yeah. It's the gospel. Always the gospel. Amen? Right. I agree with uh, that. I agree with that. Number two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Number two uh, about the laws and everything. You know? <laughs> and we as Christians, we kind of tend to forget that we live in a falling world. Mm-hmm. And the government. Okay. It's slowly but surely, right? 
Right. Well, I say the government is starting to show the signs of the enemy. Over a hundred and some years ago, maybe a hundred, just a little bit over a hundred, the Constitution decided that marriage was between a man and a woman. Right. And then sometime later, now the laws change. Yeah. What changed? Right. Okay, culture's changed. Society's changed. And if we are true believers and, and tapped in to the living word of God, we're living in a time right now to where it's a, it's a glorious time for those who are saved. And it's a glorious time for us to stand for God. And as the scriptures say, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. So just instead of trying to get a hundred, just go after that one. I agree. And about and about this this thing about you know folks I hear it all the time. I mean they question me. Well, what do you think? You know, and a lot of preachers don't really want to speak on it because uh, Christians will be labeled what I don't know bigots, whatever the word is. But for a person to sit up and tell me I was born this way, no, 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 you weren't born that way. You choose to live that way. Mm-hmm. And as Paul says, those who practice these things, right? Right. Murderers, thieves, liars, homosexuals, right? You will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But which were some of you? She was watching the blood. Right. So I don't have a problem with homosexuals. I have a problem with the teachings of homosexuals. Mm-hmm. You know, God loves homosexuals just as much as he loves mankind, but mm-hmm. he don't love them enough to where he gives them authority to live a lifestyle and preach the word and live a lifestyle and don't change a lifestyle. I agree. As you, as you just said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Yeah. Old things have passed away, all things become new. Okay, then now, you in Christ now, you ain't the same no more. Right. And, he, and God will gradually, or he'll miraculously change you overnight. Right. But, you know, you have to want to come out of that because now the fight is on. Yeah. So Sounds good suicide, to me. The suicide question, and, mm-hmm. I, and Pastor Jesse, I, I, this is my second time calling you in four years. I listen to you periodically. I try to stay out of traffic, but when I'm in traffic, <laughs> I listen to you. Praise God for you. Amen. But here's this about suicide. You know, when a preacher has the nerve to say that you can commit suicide and go to heaven, I really question that. So if you can help me with that. I will. Uh, or help us with that. I Pastor will. Jesse, I'd be loving to hear that. Absolutely. I've got to take a break to pay some bills, but you guys right. listen. I'm glad you framed it that way because we've got to ultimately go there because this is about life and death. So I, I really appreciate it, Preacher Brother. Uh, we're going to take a break. The number is one 367 5329 Two lines are open, one 367 and we'll come back and continue this topic on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back. And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we are back the time, 5.52, on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Two lines open, one 367 one We have been talking about... Three topics I brought up at the beginning of the hour. One is around um, the 4th of July. Should it be celebrated in our churches? And we've got a number of responses. I thought they were all re- reasonable and um, and thoughtful as well. Um, some yay, some nay. And um, and then we moved on to the um, to the Supreme Court decision around homosexuality. And as our state and several other states have affirmed the right for homosexuals to marry, uh, the Christian world knew that we would be bumping up against that worldview now reinforced by policy, and therefore we would have to stand and face litigation and whatever uh, other consequences would come out of us holding to our convictions. 
We also knew that it was our constitutional right to be able to uh, be what we call exercising freedom of conscience. And therefore, what we are inevitably bumping into, as you would know, is worldviews that now are coming at us with the power and force of government, as my previous caller so plainly said. And if you've listened to me for years, you know I have stated clearly that the Bible uh, underscores that our governments by nature are beasts. There are two two beasts depicted in the book of Revelation, chapter 12 and 13, that speaks to the religious beast and the civil or political beasts, and Christians have to deal with both beasts continually. And when a government goes fascist against its society, uh, and particularly start targeting believers, we are dealing with the fulfillment of Revelation chapter 12 and 13. I saw another beast coming up out of the land, and it had the power of the first beast, and it forced men and women to bow down to the first beast, which we know really is the kingdom of Satan, and those who would not worship the beast were killed if they didn't receive the name, number, or mark. Whole lot of symbolism there, but fundamentally it was targeting mankind to worship the state instead of worshiping God. And this is where this whole matter has come for us around the subject of um, conscious of the believer uh, relative to the issue of something as sacred as marriage. And again, Our previous caller said it. We love them uh, and we must love them in a biblical way in order to truly love them. You cannot love a human being by simply allowing them to hold a a position contrary to God. And you don't find some charitable biblical Christian way to let them know they're wrong. And that means that we do not agree. Um, One of the problems with our present culture is that the narrative is often hijacked and governed by uh, the media. And uh, and then people's mental uh, sentiments are swayed in that direction and often professing Christians in this particular topic that we're dealing with. Christians are way too soft around the biblical stance on homosexuality. We should be very clear, very decisive, very biblical, and yet very charitable when we do it. Um, What we come to really discover around that topic, as I move to the next very critical uh, issue of suicide, is this. If we start acting towards people in a way that suggests that the Bible is no longer right or relevant relative to what they are doing, saying, or believing, we have now just called God a liar. If we start saying it's okay for men and women to marry, it's okay for uh, men and men to marry, women and women to marry, and for them to live together as if it is an appropriate conjugal relationship, we are now calling God a liar. For God's word does not change. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot and tittle of God's law will ever change. And so the believer with the black and white book has to teach it and declare it with all of the alacrity of biblical wisdom, anointing of the spirit and character of Christ, and then deal with the consequences. Often the only way men and women come to a knowledge of the truth is to be confronted by biblical teaching concerning our conduct and our ways. As John 16 verse 8 puts it, and when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will convince or convict or reprove the world of sin.
You cannot be saved until you know you are a sinner. And if we're removing the boundaries and parameters and defining characteristics of sin and transgression, we have no gospel to give anyone at any time by which they might be saved. In fact, we incur greater wrath upon ourselves, for we are affirming them in their sin, sending them to hell, and we are supposed to be blowing the trumpet. Son of man! Warn them against me. And if you don't, their blood is upon your hand. And so, as our brother stated, this is really a glorious time, but it's only glorious if we have the anointing and our allegiance is really with Jesus. And we really want to see people saved, even to the extent of suffering for his name. Because that's the only way conversion of a society, a state, a nation, or, or, or a, a, a culture ever occurs Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Not only Christ's blood, but the blood of the martyrs becomes the grounds upon which men and women become aware that they are acting like beasts instead of the children of God ordained for them in Adam when God created us in his image and likeness. As per the topic of suicide, um, and we've got two lines open, one triple eight three six seven. Let me share with my brother just his observation, and I do want to go to the phone lines. Unfortunately, in our churches for millenniums, uh, we have held to the belief that God will forgive every kind of sin but suicide. And there's not a stitch of Bible that would ever affirm that kind of mystic notion. Here's what the Bible says. And if you really want to learn about forgiveness of sins, follow my series. I've been teaching it at Grace Now for several months, a lengthy series on the forgiveness of sins. Listen to Jesus, the author of forgiveness, the cause of forgiveness, the grounds of forgiveness, and the means of it. Listen to him in Matthew 12, verse 31. Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. What did Christ say? All manner of sin and blasphemy. Now, if it's all manner of sin and blasphemy, would that not also include suicide? Sure it would. The only sin that would forfeit an individual from glory would be sin against the uh, sin of blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, which would mean that you have heard the gospel fully and the Spirit of God has testified to you comprehensively that Christ is the only way to glory and you call Christ and the work of Christ and the work of the Spirit demonic, then one certainly has forfeited for themselves an opportunity for glory, but certainly not suicide. Now, having said that, in the second hour, what I definitely want to do is treat this subject with a little bit more care. But let me premise it by saying, if a believer finds himself, herself, themselves, and this has been the case historically, my brothers and sisters, where believers have been in such deep states of depression for so many different and various reasons and circumstances, that not only has it appealed to take their life, but they have taken their life. Now you tell me, if in fact we could actually affirm the salvation of an individual. If we could, you and I can't. We can't really know until judgment day. God gets that glory. We all assume we are believers, right? We all look for the fruits of believing, right? And in our 
church communities. We lay people in the grave and we call them believers when they bear what we call the fruits of genuine faith. But you know what? At the end of the day, only God will be able to prove the authentic believer. Now, having said that, we will have brothers and sisters in the church who will push the envelope up to the edge and in some cases cross over for which you will not have a stitch of Bible to be able to revoke their salvation publicly on this side of eternity and tell men and women, well, we thought they were saved, but obviously because they committed suicide, they cannot be saved. There would be no gospel or hope in that whatsoever. Now, having said that, and I'm sure you who love your Bible are saying, thank you, Lord, for being bigger than we are in the concept of forgiveness. Having said that, we want to be very careful not to give people a license to want to check out just because life is painful. It is painful. It is difficult. It is trying. Sometimes it is so bad. Well, Job said it. Jeremiah said it. David said it. And others. I wish I had not been born. So if the premium saints of the Bible and the saints of history have all pushed that edge and not wanted to stay in this world, not seeing any redemptive value in continuing, and you and I could cite all kind of cases where that could be the case, you're suffering enormously like Job. You remember what his wife said, curse God and die. That's suicide. That's suicide. Glad he didn't do it. Because God turned him around, didn't he? That's under, uh, one of the other reasons why we say don't push that edge. God is able to make all grace abound. Can he not? I've got two lines open, one 888 When I come back, James, I'll get you. Joel, I'll get you. And I've got two lines open. Let's talk about this now because I'll tell you, I was listening to and watching um, Anthony Bourdain, and I could hear the pessimism. I could hear the negativity. I could hear the depression because I fight with depression as well. I know where it can take you. I know where it can take you. And you and I want to learn how to handle depression by the grace of God and by good help and by a proper perspective and overcome that dark place by the light of hope and the glory of God and the person of Christ and the power of his spirit. Let's talk about it. Two lines open, one 367 I'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.